TCL.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. We're halfway to 500. Whether we actually have an opportunity to get to 500 remains a completely different topic that I'm not quite sure we need to get into the minutiae of right now. Time is somewhat limited since we air this episode of the Scoop Podcast right here on 1500 AM. It's Score North. Scorenorth.com. Hopefully you have the Score North app. I'll certainly empty out my figurative notebook at some point. I have a few notes. Plus, we'll get to Vikings defensive backs coach Jerry Gray. He was refreshing the other day at TCO Performance Center. I got him one one for a handful of minutes. He was really good talking about even Mike Hughes, but Mackenzie Alexander, Harrison Smith, Anthony Harris, the way playing defensive back, specifically cornerback, has changed over the years. So we'll get to Jerry Gray later on in this podcast, but let's start with good friend, although it's been a while, Sam Mitchell, former Wolves interim head coach, one of the best Wolves players in history. I mean, statistically speaking, he's right up there in a number of categories, former Wolves assistant coach as well. He is now doing a bunch of broadcasting, coached last year at the University. University of Memphis and decided after one year to leave Penny Hardaway's staff with the Tigers, even though Memphis is going to be loaded this year. They have a big man, James Wiseman, who has a chance to be the number one pick in the 2020 NBA draft. So let's catch up with Sam Mitchell. We'll certainly get into the Wolves and whatever else hits me. Sam, always appreciate you hopping on the podcast. I guess we could start any number of spots, but this just hit me. So I guess it would be what this fall, 30 years ago, you, that first Wolves team opening play, Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome. I guess when I say that, when I bring that up, oh my God, November. Dude, it's been hold up. It's been thirty years. Nineteen eighty nine. That freaking old. Yeah, November oh nineteen eighty nine. So November of this year. Yeah, thirty years ago. I mean, what? When I bring that up, what? What I guess comes to your mind? Dude, it's just a dream come true, man. I remember that night before the game. I wanted to cry because. You know, it took me until I was 26, and everyone knows the story. It took me until I was 26 years old to make the NBA. I played in CBA for two years, played over in Europe for two years, got cut by like 13 to 14 teams. And for me to not just be on the team, dude, but to be started, it was just uh, a dream come true. And I just, uh, man, I was in tears. It just made me think about all the people who told me I could never achieve that, but it also made me think about that you just have to be true to yourself. It's not that people meant it wrong, but, hey, I go back and I look at my career in high school and things of that nature. No one saw me playing in NBA for 13 years. So, dude, it's just a blessing, man. I just thank God every single day that I had the opportunity to play in the NBA for as long as I did. And I just thank the people in Minnesota that gave me the opportunity, the first owners, Harvey Moss, and uh, and then down to Mr. Taylor. And then last but not least, man, just just coaches like Flip and people like Kim McHale, who was there when I was there, man, just made it all worthwhile. And what about Moss? I mean, what about Bill Musselman? That's a special place in my heart for Moss, man. Because he just, let me tell you something, dude. You know, you know, people tell you a lot of things, don't And I remember when I was going overseas, and I, we won the championship in the CBA, and Moss pulled me to the side and said, you know, I'm going to get a chance. I'm going to sign you. And I thanked him, and I was like, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, right. 
You know what I mean? How many guys really do that? Mm-hmm. Sure enough, two years later, now, I had to do my part by becoming getting better and, and improving my game. But he told me if I do what I needed to do to get better, he had a spot for me. And, and Doogie, he signed me to a two-year guaranteed deal, man. And so to me, I say this all the time, no disrespect to any of the coaches I played for. I played some great coaches and worked for some great coaches. But to me, Bill Musselman don't get the credit. Bill Musselman was a great coach, period. But if you go back and look at the players that he selected, you look at myself, you look at Scott Brooks, you look at Tyrone Corbin. You know, three guys that played for Bill Musselman that was NBA head coaches. Mm-hmm. Tim Thibodeau worked for him. And out of those four guys, three of them was NBA coach of the year. Now, you tell me how many coaches got that on their coaching tree. Jeez, I don't know. And then, he, mean, produced yeah, son, yeah. and then he produced a son like Eric, who's been successful in college and coached in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So when you look at what he did, look at how we turned out. And Musk's coaching tree is impressive. It's incredibly impressive, yeah. And Eric is now at the University of Arkansas. His name has come up for, for the Gophers job in, in many years past. But you know what? On that, it's our first time at least chatting here in the podcast. Your decision to leave college basketball. You had a great gig there at the University of Memphis. That was when, in mid-May. Sam, why why exactly did you leave that job after one year? I was only going to do it. I only did it because Penny Hardaway and my relationship with Penny. I only signed a one-year deal. Right that I left. It's just that. You know, I I did what I went there to do, learn about college basketball. And it wasn't necessarily about the basketball. It was more so about the academics, dealing with the kids, their mentality. And so I got out of there. I got out of University of Memphis, but I knew it. Uh, Penny got out of me being there as his first assistant, associate head coach, after one year. And that was the deal when I went there. I was only supposed to be there for a year, you know, and that's the deal Penny and I made. And we didn't say it to a lot of people. We didn't say anything, but that's the agreement that we had. And uh, I'm happy for it. I've learned a lot from my year in college basketball. Look at the recruiting class that we brought in this year, and this is the thing. We all recruited. And that's the thing that we talked about when I first got there. Told Penny I wanted to recruit. He gave me that option, but I wanted to recruit. I wanted to be in the gym from 8 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night. Because that's the only way you learn and get a feel for it. Would you go back to the college game, Sam? Yeah, I would under the right circumstances. One thing I learned also in college, you know, look, I've been a head coach a long time. I've been an assistant coach. Right opportunity in college would be me being a head coach. It's against anybody else, but I'm 55 years old. I've had some success coaching, and I've got an idea of how I want to do it my way. You know, like a lot of guys do. And so, it, it, that's just, you know, for me, if you go back in college, you know, it would have to be a head coaching position. When you say your way, what is what is the Sam Mitchell way? Yeah, dude, like all coaches, everybody got the system they want to run, the way they want to teach, how they want to coach, how they want to prepare kids, everything. You know, and when you're an assistant coach, your job is to take the coach's plan and help make it better. Well, I think I got some ideas. I think I got some things that I can accomplish at that level. Well, they can be pretty special, and the only way you're going to do it is be the head coach. How many lottery picks on that Memphis team? I mean, Wiseman? I mean, he's a chance to be the number one pick, right? And then is there another kid? I mean, did you have your fingerprints on the recruitment of a couple lottery picks next year? Man, we all, that's the thing about it, man. When it was time to get them kids to sign on the line, you know, what they liked about Memphis was, you look at first of all, what he did as an NBA player. Speaks for himself, myself, Mike Miller, you know, Tony Matlock. So Kenny knew what he was doing by putting together the staff, and he wanted he wanted people from all different walks of life, all different kinds of basketball experience. And that's what we did. And that's why we were able to recruit these kids. Dude. You know, people don't understand. We have a plan for them. And so there's some things I want to do different that I'm not going to share on your show because well, I'm not going to help the other coaches out there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? 
You got to figure this stuff out for their own. Yeah, but you have an eye for talent. I mean, you're the one who told me. It was like two or three years ago. When's the first time that you connected with Zion Williamson? You coached Zion. You told me years ago. Now, he was already on the radar of enough schools at that time. But you told me years ago. You're like, Doogie, this kid is going to be unbelievable. So, like, you have an eye for talent, right? And Wiseman, I mean, he's he's in that same boat, isn't he? James is, yeah. James, I would say James even more so because of the physical, too. You know, James 7'2", man. He's 7'2"? Slam and athletic. Yeah. But when you look at, you know, when people look at John, they saw an overweight, chubby kid. And they say, yeah, he's a decent athlete for his size. And I would just laugh because John Williams is not a decent athlete. As he's proven, he's a great athlete. Mm-hmm. Great. But the thing about a dude that people don't give him a credit for that I laugh at, the kid, I, I, he, he understands how to play basketball. And he's unselfish to a fault. I'm telling you, he is going to be, if he stays healthy, he's going to be something special. Now, does he have some areas to improve? Yeah, like all kids. Jump shot, a bunch of things. We can go down the list. But, dude, one thing I learned about players, man, I don't always focus on what they can't do. I fall in love with them with what they can do. And then after that, then you get to work on the things that they need to get better. And then anyway, as a coach, once you realize and you know this, there are no perfect players. There's only players trying to be perfect. If you came to University of Memphis, we're going to win basketball games, but we're also going to get you better. And we had a plan to show these kids how they were going to get better. It wasn't just about the coach and the university. It was about their development also. You helped recruit a local guy, right? Jalen Suggs, right? I mean, what was it like recruiting Jalen Suggs of, of Minnehaha Academy? Yeah, I actually do. I'm going to to you. You didn't even know that. I flew into Minneapolis two or three times, man. Oh, I know. I, 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 I knew you were here. I did. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I tell you what, dude, he's just such a – first of all, before we even talk about the basketball and athletic ball, the job that his parents did with him, his mom and dad, first of all, he's a first-class young man. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that we look for first. He's a first-class young man. Second, he's an unbelievable basketball and competitor. And so it was just a joy, man. And, and, and you realize with some of these kids when you recruit them, you're not going to get them all. But, man, I tell you what, when people talk about our youth today and talk about, you know, what kind of world we're leaving behind, let me tell you something. We have some outstanding young people in, the, in this world, man. And Jalen Suggs is one of them. So it was just fun being around him, watching him play, watching him get better every year. And it was just fun recruiting him. Is he a one-and-done type player? You know, I don't know if he's one-and-done. And, dude, that's the thing people need to stop worrying about, man. You know, I tell these kids all the time. But they don't want I, I could have be been one right? and done. Yeah. Dude, look, let me tell you something. I want to be a pilot for Delta, too, in my spare <laughs> time. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things I want to do. But, dude, I tell, we tell kids this. This is why I tell them. Your talent, I'm going to put you in position to play the best basketball that you can play based on your talent and our system. What you got to do is do your part. Don't nobody have to force it. We don't have to talk about it. You know. And so I tell kids, don't come to school putting pressure on yourself saying, I got to be one and done. Because if you leave, you can't come back through that door. There is a one and done that you still have a good relationship with. Andrew Wiggins, are you, we could go any number of directions. We've gone any number of directions over the years on this podcast, Sam. But are you surprised that Andrew told Team Canada no this summer? You know, I ain't been around Wiggins the last few years. I don't know, man. And, and you know, everybody have their reasons. And uh, not necessarily, man. Look at the USA team that we put out there. Look at the top players. Nothing against the guys out there. They're playing hard. They're playing great. But we're used to seeing LeBron, Kobe. We're used to seeing the top, top guys. Mm-hmm. They're not out there this year, man. No. I just think, I just think, Doogie, with the money out there and with the money that these guys are making and the possibilities of injuries and then guys looking at DeMarcus Cousin, man, who tore his Achilles and 
ruptured his quad. Now he just has nine, an ACL. You got to start asking yourself, man, how much basketball do you want to play year-round? You know, so I understand it, man. I, I, you know, when Andrew Wiggins, one of these guys get hurt, Andrew Wiggins and what? He's got two years left on the deal or three years left on the deal, and he's going to be 25, 26 years old looking for another deal. Although he's already made his life-changing money. I mean, he got the max deal, Sam. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Dugan. Did anybody say that to uh, Jeff Pizzo at yeah. Amazon? Yeah. Anybody said to be okay? There's no number that's Warren enough, Buffett, right? yeah. Hold up. Yeah. Warren Buffett in his 80s, and he's still talking about making money. I know. So when I hear people, Dugan, you and I say that because we never made $150 million. <laughs> so we think, and, 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 and Dugan, you like me. If we made $150 million tomorrow, you'll be looking for us on the milk carton problem. <laughs> no denying that, Sam. No denying that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, Doogie, but I'd be somewhere on an island drinking a Mai Tai. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I don't know about a Mai Tai, but yeah, I'd definitely be on an island. I don't know what I'd be drinking, but I'd definitely be on an island. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't You wouldn't see me, trust me. As much fun as I have gabbing on this podcast, Sam, and doing the media stuff, trust me, I would retire snap of the fingers just to be able to do something like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, oh, you're yeah. right. So, oh, I mean, yeah. I guess, I mean, you only have a finite amount of time to earn, to really maximize exactly. your potential earnings. So, I guess if you're Andrew, you're right. I mean, even though he's got the max contract if you're andrew wiggins you are thinking about your next contract i mean i guess that is the mentality right yeah it's a business dude i mean you have to man and and today man they just and i mean dude the weirdest thing to me man with the practice times and the low management and all this stuff dude i played i played i played basketball from the time i was 21 years old and i went in the nba but i played Year-round basketball mm-hmm. for the first five years out of college. I played in the CBA. I played in summer league. I had to stay in shape year-round for five years before I made the NBA. And, dude, I don't feel like it did any more damage or took anything out of my body than anything else I've done. But now that was just me. And so as a coach, you have to understand that. And you got to change with it, man. It's just a different league. It's, the players are different. They think different. And you got to embrace it and move on, man. How much did you embrace? Speaking of embrace, how much did you embrace your time with Andrew Wiggins? I mean, dude, I love Wig, man. I, I, you know, I, I hear what everybody say about Wig, and I, all I can go by is what I saw for the two years I was there with him. Man, look, the first year we won sixteen games. The kid played eighty-two games, and he played, you know, six, eight, one hundred and ninety pounds when he came to the league soaking wet, and he got the crap beat out of him every night, dude. He never said a word. He never complained. He, and he told me the start of the season. He said, Coach, I'm going to surprise everybody. I want to play 82 games. That's the same people that I'm saying. Andrew Wiggins wanted to play 82 games. He didn't do that because it was something new. He wanted, he wants to be that guy. Mm-hmm. And so for me, Duke, for me, I'm an Andrew Wiggins fan, man. But again, I can only go by what he did the two years I was there. He had a great attitude. He had a great work ethic. I, I never had a minute's trouble out of Andrew Wiggins, nor did I ever have to worry about Andrew Wiggins showing up to play. Do you like him playing for Ryan Saunders? Do you like the idea? I mean, you know Ryan incredibly well. Do you feel like getting out from underneath Tom Thibodeau? And Ryan came in at the end of the year, and really, frankly, Sam, Andrew's numbers with Tibbs, with Ryan, pretty comparable. But now that Ryan has had an entire off season to think about things, how he'll utilize maybe Andrew differently heading into next year. Do you like the idea of Wiggins playing for Ryan Saunders? Yeah, I just think Ryan has a lighter touch. I just think he's just not overly aggressive like other coaches can be. And I just think with Andrew Wiggins, you know, I just think he just he just different, man. You can't look, you can't treat everybody the same. And you can't coach everybody the same. It just don't work. Life just not like that. It's just not. 
And so I think Andrew Wiggins has a chance to rebound and be a very productive player on the line. And I think if given the opportunity, Ryan has a chance to do well. But you want Wiggins playing the two, right? I mean, we've beaten that drum on this podcast going no. back years. You want him, and it's more so what guarding twos, right? It's more so on the defensive end. Both ends. He has a huge advantage at the two when he at the small at the two guard because he's six eight. And then guarding guys, he uses his size and length. Look, it's not what I want. I'm not his coach. It's whatever who's coaching Andrew Wiggins wants. And that's the thing. I just give my opinion on the outside looking in. That's it. But people value your opinion, Sam, right? I mean, you do national radio, well, you do national TV, people listen to your opinion. Well, I hear that, Duke, but again, at the end of the day, I, that's just what I think. If you're asking me to put my analyst hat on, what position I think Andrew Wiggins best at, I think he's best at two guys. But again, you can ask 10 people and you may get, you know, Three different answers. Who knows? Yeah. Or it might just be a 50-50 split, right? Yeah, I mean, you might have 50% of those 10 people saying, no, he needs to be a three, and you might have the other 50%, yep. you in that category, saying, no, he needs to play the two. Exactly. All right, let me, exactly. Let me ask you about Carl Anthony Towns, and then I'll let, you, I'll let you bail after this. All right, I mean, there's no denying how uber-talented he is, right? I mean, you can argue he is... For his age, the best player on the planet, right? I mean, I guess if we're looking at guys under 25, and I get it, Giannis is in that category, others. But you can make a case for Carl Anthony Towns' skill set that he is the most talented human being in his age group or younger, including Zion, including a lot of guys. But does he have leadership qualities? Does he have the ability to have guys gravitate toward him? Does he have the ability to lead a locker room, to lead a team? Because I just, I personally, Sam, and I don't say this lightly, it's coming from a lot of people that have worked for the Wolves the last couple of years, few years, wondering that same thing if Carl Anthony Towns has true leadership qualities. All right, dude, I'm going to put it to you like this. Who is there to develop those leadership qualities? Well, I mean, last year, guys like Taj Gibson. Yeah, I mean, last year there were some veterans no, in that locker room. Wait, 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 wait. I'm not talking about players, I'm talking about a coach. Yeah. That's the coach's job. Let me tell you something, man. Players don't teach players how to be leaders. You think when I got to uh, took over in Toronto, and I had Chris Bosh and Jalen Rose and Vince Carter. Who do you think tried to show Chris the right way? Wayne Emery told me something, man. Doogie that I'll never forget. He's a coach. You are the leader until you 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 are the leader of this locker room until you develop someone to be the leader and who you want that guy to be. Now, Wayne Emery told me that. Mm-hmm. So I think Wayne Emery. <laughs> Knows a lot about basketball. I would say so. And he told me that. And he used to tell me this all the time. The team's going to take on one or two personalities at some point. Either the coach or the best player. Until you develop that guy, then you then the guy, they're going to take over your personality. Well, did you in your one you year? you develop that guy. Yeah. Did you in your one year, Do I think though? he has the ability? Absolutely. Okay. Do I think Carl Anthony has the ability to be a leader? I, yes, I do. But again, as the coach, you got to teach that. Dude, your job is more than just X's and O's and, and screaming and yelling. You're supposed to teach these guys how to be leaders. You're supposed to talk to them about leadership. You're supposed to show them. And, dude, I, I learned that from being in the Army, man, as a second lieutenant commission. You know, I was an ROTC from high school all the way through college. Went to base training in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And I was second lieutenant, combat arms engineer. And the military teaches leadership. You can teach people how to lead. And I think Carl Anthony Powell, under the right toolage, I think Carl is willing to listen and do whatever the coach asks him to do. He's very coachable. 
Do I think Carl Anthony Towns could be a leader? Absolutely. So, I mean, in many ways, Sam, this thing went sideways when you had him for his rookie year, then you're let go, Tibbs comes in, and it's just, it was, it just didn't translate then. Tibbs just couldn't get that out of Carl Anthony Towns. Partly because he brought in Jimmy Butler to run the locker room, and now I guess we'll hit the reset button, hoping that Ryan can bring those qualities out of Cat. Carl Anthony Towns rookie year. Did we have any complaints about Alfred or anything? No, that was a fun team. That was with Zach, Andrew, Carl. That was a really fun team to cover, Sam. That's all I can tell you, dude. Yeah. I can't, I, dude. I can't talk about stuff that I wasn't there to be privy to. I don't know what happened when I was in there. I don't know what was said or how they were being coached. All I can go by is what happened when I was there. Yeah. That's it. Sam, I always appreciate this. Best of luck with everything going on in your personal life, and let's connect sooner rather than later. It's been a few months, so let's do this again maybe as the regular season approaches. Dude, I apologize for jumping on late, man. I'm dealing with these contractors in my house. You know how that is. I know. You, know. <laughs> you take care of what you need to take care of, Sam. We always appreciate the time. All right, dude. Okay. See you, Sam. Sincere apologies for not the greatest cell phone reception, but Sam Mitchell's information is gold. I just love sitting back, challenging him at times because I can challenge him. You can challenge him. You can have some healthy back and forth. I may not always agree with everything Sam says, but we can go back and forth on that. There's a mutual respect, so I appreciate Sam's time. Former Wolves player, former Wolves interim head coach, former Wolves assistant coach. He now does NBA TV work, and he does serious satellite radio NBA radio work. It is Sam Mitchell. We'll catch up with Sam again in the near future. He's been a regular going back the last three plus years of this podcast. We'll get to Vikings DB's coach Jerry Gray next segment in just a few seconds. We'll get to Gerson Rosas's comments from the State Fair on Thursday. I was among a few reporters to catch up with the Wolves president of operations. We'll get his thoughts on the possibility of yet another transaction coming before training camp starts in a few weeks. But let me first tell you about Hope Fieldhouse. Hope Fieldhouse is making legitimate progress since we've been talking about them going back a few weeks. So thank you, thank Thank you, thank you for donating, whether it's a dollar, two dollars, five dollars, ten dollars, fifty dollars, one hundred dollars, whatever you can do. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hope Fieldhouse is all about helping our athletes with disabilities because they are not given the opportunities they deserve. But Hope Fieldhouse is doing something about that. The Hope Fieldhouse Athletic Facility here in the Twin Cities metropolitan area will make sure everyone has a place to play. But first, they need our help. Please donate to the development of our athletes with disabilities with a tax-deductible donation at hopefieldhouse.org. That's hopefieldhouse.org. I'm telling you, this is a much-needed project. You'll be helping a great cause, and any donation of $50 or more gives you a chance to meet Vikings fullback and Hope Fieldhouse supporter C.J. Ham. I can tell you from being out at Vikings training camp darn near every day, and you've seen it in the first couple preseason games, C.J. Ham is going to be a pretty big part of the Vikings offense this year. You merely make a donation of $50, hopefully more, but merely $50, and you'll be given a chance to enter a drawing to meet to spend some quality time with C.J. Ham of the Vikings. C.J. Ham, Kirk Cousins, other Vikings players, other athletes have donated to Hope Fieldhouse. They see how important this is. It is Hope Fieldhouse. Fieldhouse.org. All right, let's get to some Gerson Rosas comments from Thursday. 
Last week on this podcast, I had made mention of there's some buzz about the Wolves, making some calls about some free agent point guards. I even had a well-respected source tell me, hey, you need to dig on Ty Lawson, that the Wolves might have some interest in Ty Lawson. I sort of scoffed at the idea, saying, hey, the Wolves are already at a max of 15 contracts. Ty Wallace, Tyrone Wallace, would be contract 16. Now, you can carry 20 contracts right now. You don't need to get down to 15 contracts until right before opening night. So the Wolves could add another contract now battle it out in the preseason in training camp then trade a guy or just eat a contract but I just last week said I just don't know if I foresee a scenario where the Wolves add yet another guaranteed contract well guess what Gerson Rosas poured cold water on my take from last week we're still looking pretty aggressively whether it's free agency domestically or internationally or even trades uh, we've created flexibility with some of the decisions we made where um, you know we don't mind and we've talked about this as a leadership group bringing in uh, more than 15 guaranteed contracts and if we have to eat a contract we'll eat a contract but we want to create depth we want to create competitiveness in camp and sometimes uh, you know you end up eating or trading a a contract that you need to if if at the end of the day you want to emphasize competition and the guy beats another guy out we have the flexibility to do that it's almost more fair to say that in what you're describing there will be similar to what kind of you guys did in Houston, more so than even being analytics-driven. That's huh. I think it's yeah, it's not as much analytics as it is uh, value-driven and flexibility and. We want to create an environment where we've got young players that we feel like are going to be good system fits for us. And we've added some guys maybe on shorter term contracts, but it doesn't mean it's shorter term vision. You know, if guys fit, uh, we have the flexibility moving forward to make them part of our core group. And that's what we're looking for. Guys that are competitive, guys that are looking for an opportunity, have a chip on their shoulder. You know, it's, it's a definition of us and what we have to do to move forward. So we love the competition. We love that we're going to play a different way with maybe more perimeters uh, than prototypical bigs, uh, but it allows our best player to be at his best. And it allows some of our younger players who are developing into good players to have a good opportunity to grow. Keep an eye then on the point guard position, even though the Wolves like guys that can play multiple positions. Rosas also told me on Thursday that his staff is pretty much complete. Remember the day after the draft, they let go so many people, front office staff members, scouts, I guess they would fall under the umbrella of front office. But Rosas said as we get closer to the season, they will officially announce all the hirings, but that he is pretty much done making all the hires that he needs to. I will say the former Wolves big man, Greg Steamsma, is being hired. I don't know if it's technically a paid internship or a full-time job. I was told some coaching, some video work, but that Greg Steamsma, probably some public appearances as well, representing the organization at some community events, which he's already done, actually. So look for Greg Steamsma to join the Wolves in some capacity. Again, it might be more of an internship, not an actual full-time job, but I'm told it is a paid gig. Former Wolves center Greg Steamsma joining the Wolves. There's also some buzz about some of the Wolves veterans, led by Carl Anthony Towns, gathering some of the players, if not all of the players here in the coming weeks, going to an exotic locale. A lot of teams do this just for some team bonding. So look for that. And the Wolves have had a lot of guys at Mayo Clinic Square the last few weeks working out. Jake Lehman is in town. Jarrett Culver. Jalen Noel. Naz Reed. So a lot of the young guys, but certainly Lehman, fresh off his honeymoon, Lehman has been at Mayo Clinic Square getting some work in with Ryan Saunders and some of the other coaches. So yes, way different than last year. No guarantees it translates to wins come the season. The Wolves are projected to win somewhere in the mid 
mid-30s range, so it's going to take some time. Once they swung and missed on D'Angelo Russell, I think expectations were tempered internally, I think externally as well. This doesn't look like it's a playoff team, but they do feel like for whatever it's worth, you know, the buzzword, the popular buzzword is culture, that they are changing the culture, that they are building something sustainable. Whether that's actually true remains to be seen. I'm just saying, though, I wouldn't go all in on big-time expectations for next season. Give them some time to build this thing up. All right, let's catch up with Jerry Gray, Vikings defensive backs coach, next. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 250 of the Scoop Podcast on this Friday night, the 23rd of August. Let's now catch up with Vikings defensive backs coach, Jerry Gray, he's been in the NFL a long time, from his playing days on to coaching. He's been a defensive coordinator before. He's been the Vikings secondary coach since Mike Zimmer joined in 2014. I caught up with Jerry earlier this week at TCO Performance Center at Vikings training camp. Coach, you're entering regular season number six here. I mean, does it feel like you've been here now six seasons? No, you know, the good thing is that it's it's been going by fast. You know, we were four years over in uh, Eden Prairie, and then we're two over here, so it's like a move for us. But, uh, you know, it's been, it's been good. You know, being here with the same guys, that helps a lot. You know, we didn't have a lot of turnover on defense, so that, that's, that's really good. All right, so because of the lack of turnover, I mean, how much, how much has your job changed? How much has it evolved over the last six years? Well, you know, we kind of started out with a, a young team, you know, in the secondary, had guys that we didn't know with uh, Xavier Rhodes, Harrison Smith. You know, uh, we were getting Anthony Harris as a free agent. You know, we trade, uh, we brought Trey in a couple of years later. So our guys have kind of been consistent. And so we, we've gone from teaching a lot of little bit of intricate details to the game to now we expect for those guys to understand the game. And now we can expand everything we've been doing in the back end. And, and that's been really helpful. How about just the description of the job, I guess, specifically as a cornerback? <laughs> how much has that changed over the years? Well, you know, the big thing is cornerbacks, like in this system, you, you have to cover. You know, you got to be really, really good cover guys. And you can see that you can't, ha- you can't get the DPIs because you can't touch and hold and all of a sudden the game has changed. Now all of a sudden we can challenge OPI and DPI plays which is so much different than than you did when I was playing and even early coaching. So that's different and then you know the safety position you look at that and then the hitting has changed. You know you have to lower your target level. You got you can't hit up in the head and stuff like that. So you have to teach all the little in, intricate details of those just so the guy can go play. What is it now? Is it 30-something years that you've been in the league? I mean, did you ever think that we'd get to the day and age of challenging P.I.? <laughs> no, no. You know, uh, when I got in, I played for nine years, and, you know, I was, you know, the, the Lester Hayes and the Mike Haynes and all those guys, and those guys were a little bit different. You know, they were long, big, tall corners, and then you got into the run-and-shoot type offense, so you needed a little bit smaller corners, and then it evolved back towards the end of my career, they went back to taller corners. So you can see the game change, and it's kind of going back that way, but but the corners have to be really good with their feet, not with their hands anymore. You know, I was taught to use my hands a whole lot. Now, if you use your hands, there's a DPI, there's illegal contact, and, you know, the game is changing, but we got to be, uh, learn to change with it. Have your guys learned, though? I mean, do you feel comfortable the way your guys use their feet? Yeah, you know, the, the first game, we, we, we had a couple of DPIs with the corners on double cuts, and then we came back the next game, we cleaned that up. We had one game, uh, one DPI last week, Holden Hill, he should have been over the top. You know, but, but he was in position, but they called him for grabbing again with your hands. And then, you know, this week we've been kind of monitoring that, and we didn't have any in practice, so hopefully that carries over to the game. I'm trying to think of all the great DBs you've worked with in your day. I mean, Sean Taylor, right? Samari Roll. Where does, where does Harrison Smith rank? 
Well, you know, when you look at it, uh, currently, you know, Harrison is probably one of my better players, you know, uh, especially on this team. And, and when you look at over the over the history, I think, you know, when I retire, I make a list and I, I can rank him up up one the top. You know, I, I know one thing is he's a really good football player, close to the box, away from the box, understanding what you're trying to get done. Sean Taylor was pretty much the same way. You can give him anything and the guy can adjust to it. And, and it's hard for guys to do that, you know. But, but when you see Harrison, you see him – it doesn't phase him to make an adjustment. And, and that's what coaches really like, guys that can make an adjustment during the course of the game and then keep the game in perspective of what he has to do. I mean, you're right. I mean, whether it's, you know, in the box, you know, covering. I mean, is there still a ceiling for Harrison Smith? Well, to me, I think the ceiling is what Harrison puts on himself. You know, we're going to challenge him. We're going to challenge him every day, and we're going to try to get the best out of Harrison. And to me, going back to the Pro Bowls, being all pro should be Harrison's goal every year. You know, and, and anything under that is, a, is a, you know, I, I, he should expect that. Now, once you've gotten it, you should expect to keep going back. Well, how do you get that? you got to work. You know, and it's our job to make him conscious of that. And the good thing is we don't have to harp on Harrison to be a good worker. He's going to do that. Now let's put him in position let him go play. On those goals, is it realistic for Rhodes to have similar goals? Of course it is. I mean, to me, I talked with Zave, uh, you know, and he missed the Pro Bowl last year. He had been two years in a row. And, and I told him, I said, you know, the biggest thing is you got to get to that com competition level back. You know, we know you were nicked up a little bit last year. You still talked about as one of the best corners. Now you got to go prove it again. So they want you to prove it. And, and when you prove it again, they'll put you back up there. But then you got to fight to stay up there. And, and that's, the, that's the thing about being a Pro Bowl player. Everyone's trying to get your job. And it's your job if you don't get the injuries and if you don't slack off. And so if you can c continually do that, he'll be a Pro Bowl player. Does he have that drive? Does he have well, that fight? Does he have that chip on his shoulder? Yeah, you know, to me, I think after last year, you know, not going was, you know, I was in this position when I was a player. And I, when I didn't go my fifth year, I was embarrassed. I'm like, look, I'm one of the better corners. I want to get back in there. So I know he has that fight to want to be a corner back in, the, you know, a top corner back in this league. And we'll see what shows up on Sunday. Does Trey have Pro Bowl potential? Yeah, I think he, I think he does. You know, the big thing is Trey, he has really great speed the biggest thing is take a chance you know he's really good at what he does but but the guys that that get to that next level they take a little bit more risk than than the than the, the natural guy when you see a patrick peterson when you see uh a champ bailey those guys they'll take a little bit more risk they'll they'll step off the edge a little bit more than most guys will and and and, and that's where i'm constantly trying to get trey to go you're a really good corner now in order to get to that great status you got to take a little bit risk in order to step off the edge and see if you got a parachute that'll save you and hopefully we can get that out of him what sort of fine line is that, though, and how much leeway does he have in your guys' system to take some risks? Well, he has a lot of leeway. To me, I think, you know, a guy that runs a 4-2, you know, there's so many, be many guys outrun you. So, so the biggest thing you have to do is not worry about the speed factor of it. Now, how do I adjust to the route concepts on the digs, on the comebacks? On the post and the go, the speed, God gave you that. Now let's see if you can take the little next step to take a chance to jump out to jump a curl because it takes a lot of guts to do that because if you think it if i miss it's probably gonna be a touchdown well the good ones don't worry about the missing they just worry about making it i'm trying to think back to this time last year mackenzie alexander mm -hmm. there were a lot of questions yep how many of those questions have been answered 
I think towards the end of last year, the last seven, eight games, he asked a lot of questions. You know, we put a lot on him. We lost Terrence Newman. You know, he retired. You know, he had played at a high level for us. And, you know, McKenzie get in there, and that's the thing what McKenzie had to understand. You're replacing the guy that played at a high level. So our expectation is a high level. We don't want to take the steps back. And, you know, the first six games, I think he, he kind of struggled a little bit. And once he got past that, he said, okay, this is what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a good football player. You expect me to play like Terrence, I'm going to play like Terrence Newman. And then you take a step up because now the expectation is how can we get guys to say we want you to play like McKenzie Alexander. And now you're the standard of what our team is and what we expect for you to do, and hopefully he can keep continue to do that. Who's the standard for J. Ron Curse? I mean, you sort of move him all around. I mean, right now, is he your backup nickel, in fact? Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, I think when you got backup guys, they got to play more than one position. You know, and J. Ron has done a great job. He plays nickel. He plays a package where we go cover linebackers. I mean, cover uh, tight ends. But then we got to get him closer. You know, you seen him last week. He made three behind-the-line tackles, and he playing safety there. But you know what? He got great instincts, and it's our job to get him in those positions, let him go make splash plays for us, where he's a, a 12th of 13 or 14 DB, our, our defensive guy on our field, now he's making plays like a starter. So when he comes in the game, they have to respect him. Can he blitz it or not? And I think that'll free up Anthony Barr and other guys. Speaking of splash plays, Anthony Harris has a little splash play to him, doesn't he? Yeah, you know, you, you look at Anthony, he's he's more reserved. You know, he doesn't say much. Yeah. He just does his job. But if you watch the whole course of the, the year, a couple of years ago, he get a, get a fumble recovery with the Rams. You know, big play. Because uh, we barely won that game. Last year against Arizona, he, he gets interception in that play. Then he gets two against Chicago. It, it, even though we lost that game, you know, he makes plays quietly, but he makes those plays almost like a Derek Jeter, where you really don't say anything, and then in the fourth quarter, if you make a play, he's a hero. How That's much, really how he is. Yeah. How much are you just, just itching to get Mike Hughes back? I mean, I don't know if he'll be, <laughs> I don't know if he's going to be ready. I mean, at this point, probably not for week one, but yeah. whether it's week three, week five, week seven, how much are you just itching to have Mike back? Well, you know, you're talking about a guy with great potential. You know, we seen that last year when at this time last year, he's a rookie. I thought he was further ahead of any rookie I'd ever coached. You know, and, and this guy, he picked it up easy. He ran, he get in out of cut. He did a lot of great plays. And then all of a sudden he gets the injury. And, you know, the good thing about what he's been doing is it's not like he's relaxing. He's working his tail off in the weight room, in the training room. He, he never took a break in off season even in the summer. So he was here on the whole thing. And so we got a chance to see him working from afar. And the good thing is that if he can keep the work ethic up and get back out on the football field, I think he's going to pick up where he left off. Wait, so more so than any other rookie you've any ever coached? Really? Rookie. I mean, I'm telling you, I, I've been around a lot of guys that have been good football players. He was really smart in understanding route concepts. And we could throw a defense at him, he'll pick it up. We throw nickel at him, he picks it up. So it's hard to be a nickel in our system, but he was playing nickel and corner and wasn't missing a beat and wasn't making a lot of mental errors. So that, that, that was pretty impressive. Olivia, after this, is there disappointment with Holton? I mean, Holton played well in stretches last year, and then all of a sudden it's the four games and gets four more. And as a coach, are you just thinking, gosh darn, Holton, I want you out there. We've got Julio Jones and those Atlanta <laughs> receivers week one. We've got Devontae Adams and those guys week two. Heck, Oakland, right? Brown. Yep. I mean, you just you look at some of those receivers you're yeah, playing early in the season. Are you just thinking, gosh darn, Holton, I'd love to have you out there? Well, the, you know, the big thing we try to tell him is, is that you, you the understanding the stuff off the football field affects stuff on the football field. So when you get a chance to understand that, now learn from it. You know, are we disappointed in him? Of course we are of doing what he did off the football field. Now we need you to work your tail off on the football field to where when you come back, we expect high level out of you. We don't expect for you to start in week one and we're in week nine. That's not going to work. 
So, so you have to take some ownership into that and be working while you're not here. And that's the biggest thing that a young guy has to learn. That's the hard lesson to learn because now you're kind of out there on your own. And what are you going to do to get yourself ready to go week nine? You know, that's on you. We'll get you prepared for the game plan, but you got to be physically ready, mentally ready to go. Are you already like breaking down film of Atlanta or whether it's Green Bay? Yeah, I mean the biggest thing you got to do, you, you know, we know who the offensive coordinators are. We know they got a background. You know, we know that Green Bay was in Tennessee. We know uh, Tam uh, the head, uh, the offensive coordinator in Atlanta was in Tampa Bay. So we know that there's a history there. We played them a couple of years ago. So we go back and we watch film and we take a look at ourselves for what we've done against them if we played them at other places. And then you know what? We look at the preseason and see what they're actually doing. If it's the same, we just go off the game plan. If it's not, we got to study a little bit more. So we're we're already preparing for guys that we're going to play in week one and week two and week three. That was Vikings DBs coach, secondary coach, Jerry Gray. Jerry Gray of the Vikings. Appreciate his insight, whether it was on Holton Hill, some good stuff, really good stuff, interesting stuff about Mike Hughes. Go up and down the list. Mackenzie Alexander, Trey Waynes, Rhodes, Harrison Smith, Anthony Harris. Try to hit him with as much as I could in about a 10-minute window. Appreciate Jerry Gray's time. And it is interesting to think about what the Vikings secondary could look like next year. Mackenzie Alexander, a free agent. Trey Waynes, a free agent. In fact, I even checked again this morning just to see if there was any traction, any steam whatsoever on the Vikings trying to extend Trey Waynes. The answer is no. They are going to let this thing play out. Not that they couldn't have some talks in season, but right now there is zero traction. There really haven't been any real talks about any sort of extension with Waynes or Alexander. When we come back here on the Scoop Podcast, we'll catch up briefly with Nick Bukestad of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Plus, I'll empty out my figurative notebook. It's final segment time of The Scoop Podcast. This is episode 250 on this 23rd of August. If you listened to last Friday's episode, you are not surprised by Bill Guerin being named the Wilds' next general manager earlier this week. I was texting with Ben Hankinson. Ben Hankinson represents a lot of players. Ben Hankinson, former gopher, had a cup of coffee in the NHL. Now a very successful agent. Anyway, Ben was roommates with Garen way back when. So not only teammates in New Jersey, but they were also roommates. He just sung the praises of Bill, as have others. I was texting with Neil Sheehy, some other league contacts. I've heard nothing but good things about Bill Guerin, especially his people skills. You know, you think about maybe the demise of, of Paul Fenton, certainly his lack of people skills came into play big time. Bill Guerin is very much somebody that can galvanize a room. He can bring people together. He has very, very good people skills. So Bill Guerin, the new general manager of the Minnesota Wild. You know what? Let's keep the hockey theme going. I was at a recent workout at Bethel University with Nick Bukestead of the Pittsburgh Penguins. So let me replay my conversation with Nick from a few weeks ago, him talking about being traded last year, the transition to Pittsburgh, and a couple other topics. Here is a brief conversation I had recently with Nick Bukestead, former gopher, former Blaine High School star. I mean, this is just a reminder watching you guys work out that there is no such thing as an offseason. Like years ago, you might be able to use training camp in the preseason to get in shape for the regular season. But these days, you better come to training camp in tip-top shape. Yeah, I mean, it's been like that for a while now, ever since I joined the league, so it's nothing new. Um, keeps us busy, I guess. There's, uh, you know, some down points in the summer where, you know, you get anxious for the season, but, um, you know, you have opportunities to get in the weight room and do some uh, skills stuff on the ice and um, really get ready for the season. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a good group we have here, a smaller group with uh, Chris Carroll training us and 
Riley Tufty and uh, Ryan McDonough. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just good to get in the weight room. I'm not far from Bethel, so we're lucky enough to use the facilities here. And, um, yeah, it's going good so far. You say anxious, that you're anxious to start the season. But are you really, or do you enjoy the summer just to some extent? Yeah, I mean, you have to uh, you have to have some downtime. There's so many games and um, you know so so many um, road trips. You, you get you get exhausted a little bit during the season, so you got to find ways to rejuvenate yourself through the summer. Um, I think as you get older, you learn a little more just about your body. And um, you know, there's I used to just go in the weight room as hard as I can and not stretch and do some of the recovery stuff, and now it's. Uh, a lot more recovery and stretching so you can last those 82 games in the season which is very hard to do so um yeah it's uh it's good to get the rest in the summer and spend time with family and get back in minnesota i love coming back here and um you know there's lots to do so um definitely you, you do enjoy your summers expound on that that right now is laying the groundwork in many ways for you to be able to play the minutes that pittsburgh wants you to play come I mean, even as we look as far ahead as March, April, I mean, heck, I mean, you guys could play until June. I mean, that's the idea that you're training now to be able to stay healthy for, for the whole season. Yeah, um, you know, the longevity piece of it, it's uh, you see a lot of guys that, um, you know, that you look at the Matt Cullen, I got to play with him this this past year, and it's like uh, pretty amazing to see those guys that play so many games in so many years, and um, those are the guys taking care of their bodies, and um, really, really putting that extra effort into um, making sure they're prepared for the season. So um, you take little things here and there from different players and learn different stuff. And obviously, you have your strength coach and um, everything like that. You just um, got to uh, adjust and adapt a little bit. I think when we're younger, we're able to um, lift a little heavier. And as you get older, it's uh, you know, like I said, it's it's just more about maintaining and at the same time uh, staying in shape for the season. Does Pittsburgh give you some sort of itinerary that they want you to follow when you're doing your workouts here? Are they in contact with Chris? How does that relationship work? Yeah, um, one of our strength coaches was here for a whole week watching us train, uh, spending a little time with us, and um, you know he speaks with Chris on a regular basis and makes sure um, everything's going well. So. Um, I, I, from my experience with Florida and Pittsburgh, it's it's kind of you're on your own for the most part in the summer. I think that's most guys in the NHL, but uh, they expect you to be ready, low body fat, in shape, ready for all the testing. And if you're not, uh, you know they'll find another guy for the most part. It's like uh, you, you got to be ready and make sure you're taking care of yourself because um, you know there, there's plenty of good players coming up in this league. So many young guys and. Um, I think they kind of push the pace. It's like uh, these 18, 19 year olds coming in the league. They're they're skilled and strong. So um, you know, you get older, you uh, you want to keep up with them, and um, you know, just find different ways to get better. What was it like when you found out you were being traded to Pittsburgh? And has that whirlwind, you know, now that you've finished half a season or whatever it was, 30 something games of Pittsburgh, has that whirlwind started to die down? Yeah, I mean, uh, it all happened so fast. It was right after my All-Star break, so it was just kind of um, a crazy dream almost. And um, getting traded to Pittsburgh, obviously, that organization was very exciting for for me. And um, you know, I came in and just kind of looked around the room. These guys are winners. They've won a couple times in the last four years, so 
Um, it's pretty cool. I've watched a lot of the Melkins and the Crosbys and the Tanks since I was a kid. So being able to be on that squad and um, try to contribute in whatever way I can is, um, you know, it's pretty fun. So I want to go in and have a good year, hopefully, and um, stay healthy. Rick went from wrong, so third line center, but you've got Sidney Crosby and Malkin ahead of you, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, those two in front of you, they kind of take the load, um, at least from the defensive side of the other team. So that's, uh, yeah, it's kind of nice being a third-line center or um, play a little wing too. So, um, yeah, wherever they put me is great. And, you know, just just excited to be a part of that organization with the players they have and um, the group they've had. That was Nick Bukestad of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Some notes on Gophers football. I've heard a lot of good things from some inside people about Mo Ibrahim. I mean, we knew how good he was last year as a true freshman doing all he did at the running back position, but I am being told that he has had an unbelievably solid training camp. So don't forget about him with Rodney Smith back with Shannon Brooks, who's dinged up now, but Shannon presumably will help contribute at some point. Might not be as soon as next Thursday, but later in the season with his experience but don't sleep on Mo who was back from last year Mo's year last year was his redshirt freshman year so he has three years of eligibility remaining on that North Dakota State Butler game at Target Field a week from tomorrow they've already sold 32,000 tickets the expectation is the crowd will be well over 35,000. I just got an email this morning that Gophers football with that flash sale. They had, before this flash sale, so genius idea by the Gophers, before this flash sale, they had, I'm told, thousands upon thousands of tickets remaining for that Gophers South Dakota State game next Thursday at TCF Bank Stadium. Anyway, they sold over 7,000 tickets at $10 a pop. So at this point, just get people in the stadium. The Gopher football team has a chance to be really good this year. My expectation is minimum eight victories. Other people say maybe even more than that. I don't know if they go significantly less than that. I mean, six wins for sure. Just with all the talent they have, it would be hard. I mean, they would have to throw up all over themselves or suffer all sorts of injuries to not at least win six to become bowl eligible. But I think they can aim for a pretty significant bowl with the talent they have. So I think the Gophers marketing people had a smart concept. Hey, let's just get people in in the stadium. Hopefully they enjoy the product and then they can come back later in the season. So good job by the Gophers. But yeah, before this flash sale, I was told thousands upon thousands of tickets. In fact, there was a healthy debate in our office. More people at the North Dakota State Butler game on the 31st at Target Field or more people at Gophers South Dakota State. But with this flash sale, maybe Gophers South Dakota State will take the cake. On the Twins, they had 12 scouts at the recent area code games in California. They also had four scouts at the recent Under Armour All-Star game in San Diego. Max Carlson of Burnsville High School, Sam Carlson's younger brother, represented the state of Minnesota in that game. The Twins would have had some free agent interest in Billy Hamilton if the Braves did not claim him, but the Twins did not have interest in claiming him, claiming that contract. The Braves did, so moot point at this point, Billy Hamilton to the Braves, but the Twins did have some interest in Hamilton as a pinch runner come the postseason, assuming they make the postseason a healthy three-and-a-half game lead right now with a series against the Detroit Tigers at Target Field this weekend. Some other notes, the Vikings have been out and about. No surprise, their scouts out and about attending all sorts of college practices. That's not a surprise, and they're expected to have representation at the first game of the college football season tomorrow, Miami against the University of Florida. But anyway, here just speaks to they leave no stone unturned because they've already been to Rhode Island. They've already been to James Madison. They've also been to BYU, Boise State, Ohio State. They've been to Gophers practice. Viking scouts are out and about going everywhere. But I just wanted to point out that they went to Rhode Island and James Madison. You never know where you'll find some NFL talent.
it. I had a nice conversation with Linval Joseph at Vikings training camp the other day. He told me Garrett Bradbury is way faster, tougher and faster than he imagined. Linval back now, cleared for team drills after offseason shoulder surgery. So he'll be okay for the opener in a couple weeks against Atlanta. Brian O'Neill back to doing some individual drills. He's working on that elbow, that right elbow. My sense is Brian O'Neill will be good to go for the Falcons game. David Morgan at this point, I thought he'd be back. I know there's some frustration. He is upset after he underwent knee surgery right around the end of minicamp. He thought he would be back by now. He's not. He is their best black blocking tight end. So at this point, he is very much up in the air for the start of the regular season. Very unfortunate because David Morgan is a good player and I just know he is uber, uber frustrated. Football can be a very frustrating game, especially when it comes to medical issues. Carlos Zambrano, the former Chicago Cub, starting against the St. Paul Saints on Sunday, a five o'clock start. So if you've never been to CHS Field, you want to see Carlos Zambrano pitching for the Chicago team against the Saints, you should check them out on Sunday. If not, the game is televised locally on 45 TV. Carlos Zambrano against the St. Paul Saints late Sunday afternoon. That does it for this Scoop Podcast. Have a great weekend, everyone.